0: Welcome to the Ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments. I don't remember. I think this is like our fifth time we've done this. And I said in the very first one, different groups label the commandments differently. So depending on what list you're using this is the fourth or the fifth commandment but we are we are going to look at at the the principle or, or the command for the Sabbath rest today and but I want to go back touch real quickly and I'm going to touch this quickly the ten commandments I've said this before the the there is a belief amongst a lot of Christians hopefully you all are mature enough you realize this is not the case that there are people that will tell you under the old covenant, people got saved by keeping the law. Under the new covenant, people get saved by grace through faith. People have gotten saved by, faith through, or by grace through faith from Adam and Eve till today. It has never been by works. Paul was very clear in the book of Romans. No one has been justified by works. Your works, didn't, they didn't work in the Old Testament. They're not going to work now. We, we we do good works in response to what God has done for us not to get God's approval because we can't earn our way into a relationship with God it just doesn't work that way but the Ten Commandments still have an importance to us for us as believers since we are already saved we had a big discussion yesterday men's prayer about um, how how sin and and, and righteousness and works all relate to one another. And somebody made this statement, and I, I, I had just forgotten about it. It's one of those things you know, but you just, it's not in the front of your mind. Schofield, Dr. Schofield, described salvation that it was in three tenses. I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And those three tenses correspond to the three parts of, of, of the nature of human beings. I have been saved in my spirit, the real me. I drop dead in the next 30 seconds, my spirit's going to heaven. My spirit's been recreated. I'm a brand new creature. I'm holy. I'm pure. I cannot sin. Because me and the Holy Spirit are so intermingled, the Spirit of Christ on the inside of me, we are so intermingled that you can't tell where I stop and where the Holy Spirit begins. That's what happens in the new birth. He identifies with us. That's why Paul said in in Ephesians that we are seated with him in heavenly places. When when the devil looks at us, he's not quite sure whether he's looking at us or looking at Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit and Jesus look the same. The same God. But my soul, my mind, well, my future salvation is my physical body. I believe we're really close to the, the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus. When that happens... We're out of here, but before we leave the earth, before our feet come off the ground, and it'll come off the ground in a, a, a period of time that's so short that you can't measure it. But before that happens, this mortal body, Paul said, I think it's in Romans 8, towards the end of Romans 8, he said, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit will give life to your mortal body. That mortal means it's subject to death. If I live long enough, I'm going to die. That's just a fact. Nobody's gotten out of here yet. Well, two people have. Enoch and Elijah. And guess what? They're probably coming back during the tribulation because they have to die. It's just a fact. Death is part of the human experience. Except for that last group that are going to get translated. And then this mortal body will, in effect, die because it will be recreated into an eternal body. But that's coming when Jesus, that's future. That's that's on his time scale, and when he wants to do it, it'll happen. In between there, I am being saved. I am being sanctified. And that all happens right between my ears. I have to renew my mind. Paul said it in Romans 12. You are to be a living sacrifice living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron. Sacrifices got killed. Well, I destroy my old way of thinking and start thinking a new way because Christ has recreated me, and I have to think how he thinks of me. Amen? That's the process I'm in right now. We're all in that process, learning who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and how he's empowered us, the authority we have. The Ten Commandments won't get me any closer to that, but that's what I renew my mind to. I look at the Ten Commandments, and, and Jesus in Matthew 22 said when they asked him, what are the two most, or what's the greatest commandment? He said, there's two of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you look at our bulletin, it's, it's a big part of, of our church vision. Love God, love people. John said it in, in, I think it was in 1 John. If you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, the love of God is not in you. Because you can't love God and hate people. Now, I used to joke, I taught 25 years in a high school, and every time we had an in-service day, Kids weren't there, teachers gathered up, and usually it was the most wasteful meetings, stupid stuff that you it's like, why are we doing this? Let me go work in my room, grade papers, and do things that I, I have lots of work to do. But we'd all look at each other and say, despite all of that, this place is pretty nice to work when there's no kids around. You kind of get that, that uh, graveyard humor when you're a teacher. The hard part of teaching is dealing with teenagers, or, God forbid, if you teach little ones. Uh, My my daughter and I, she's early, early education. I mean, middle school, or not middle school, um, preschool, kindergarten, first, second, third grade. And she looked at me one time, she said, I don't know how you deal with teenagers. I could not take it. I said, honey, I'd rather be cussed out by the biggest, meanest teenager there is than have to go to the corner and clean up poop in my classroom. I've never had one of my my, my kids come to me and say, Mr. Roberts, Billy pooped in the corner? I don't know how many times she's dealt with that. Well, I don't care whether you're dealing with poop in the corner or rebellious teenagers. It's not fun. We as the church sometimes look around and say, you know, this place, this church would be really good if it wasn't for these other stupid people. That landed with a big fud. It's true. We grate on one another. Why? Because most of the time, or a lot of time, we're operating out of our flesh. If we're operating in love, there's no condemnation. We need to look at the Ten Commandments when, when, when Jesus said, You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and you've got to love your neighbor. Now, the next thing they ask him, Well, who is my neighbor? And he's just said, Basically, everybody. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you and abuse you and persecute you. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. Like, no, of course you can't. But if you'll rely on me and on my spirit, you can do it. And I have practiced this over the years. If somebody really grates on me and harms me, I start praying for them. And it doesn't really do much for them, but, man, it transforms me. It'll change me. You start to get a glimpse of what God thinks of that person. And sometimes it changes you to the point where it's like, okay, Lord, stop. But Paul... Summed it up even more in Romans 13. Love does no harm to his neighbor. If I love God, I have to treat people right. And that's not always easy. But when we do deal with the law, the law always brings condemnation to us because we never keep the law. It shows us where we're falling short. So we always have to... We saw this in, in, in Romans um, 7.25... Give me a second here. This one I didn't have in my notes. I took it out like everything else. You know when you're going to need a tool that you throw away, or that you're going to need a tool? The day after you throw it out. (laughs) Romans 7, 25, 24, Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Very next verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul looks at himself and he said, I am a wretched man. I want to serve God, but I'm constantly falling short in serving my flesh. But thank God there's no condemnation. We have to look at the law to know where we need to work and where we need to change, but we have to constantly bring ourselves back and say, God, there's no you are not condemning me. I'm a screw-up. You know, I've joked that I have a Ph.D. in bad jokes. Well, I have three or four Ph.D.s in sin and screw-ups. We all do. We, are, we, we have perfected that part of our lives. We, we spent an entire lifetime learning how to live by the flesh, and now God's saying, quit doing that and start learning to live by my spirit. We do it for a while, and then we fall off. We do it for a while. Pursuing him is what will help us. We, we keep pursuing him. And part of it in Hebrews 4 we looked at, come boldly before the throne of grace. We need to constantly be coming before God, despite our fallups despite our sin. We just keep coming to his presence and coming to his presence knowing he's not mad at me. He's not condemning me. And knowing, because we saw it in Exodus 20, verse 2, he's, a, he's not a passive God. He's a delivering God. He took the nation of Israel and delivered them out of, of slavery in Egypt. He's delivered us out of slavery. He's on our side. So we just need to keep coming to him and keep coming to him and keep coming to him. We've looked at all the other commandments. This brings us to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's the command. So that means, I guess, that I keep forgetting that this, there's a Sabbath. Well, yes and no. If you go to, to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, because this, this remark that, that, that uh, Moses made when he said, remember the Sabbath day, it's not a, a matter of us combating forgetfulness. Because in Genesis 8-1, it says, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. So when when God decided he's going to judge the world with, with the flood, he sends Noah and his family into the ark all of the animals that are going to be saved go into the ark with them. They're shut up. And the Godhead says, okay, we're going to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. We're flooding everything. We're killing everything except what's in the ark. And they got, it was hard work. They got tired. So what do they do? What do we do when we get tired? You go on vacation. So God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're in spiritual Cancun or wherever God goes to go on vacation And they're relaxing, they're resting up, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit looks at Jesus and he said, "Oh, myself, we forgot all about Noah. Man's floating down there on the ocean. We just did. We did you forget?" And Jesus looks at the Father and says, "Did you forget?" And he said, "Well, I did, but now I remember him, and let's go do something about it." No, God never forgot. It's not like God thought, "Wow, I've just I've abandoned him." How could I do that? I guess, you know, I'm eternal. I'm losing my hearing, losing my memory. No, when, when the Bible says, remember something, it means put your attention on this. When, when it says in, in Genesis 8-1 that God remembered Noah, it mean, it's saying God is going to now put my attention on Noah and all of these animals in this ark. When it tells us in, in this commandment, remember the Sabbath day, He's not saying, "Look, you keep forgetting this principle." He's saying, "Put this in your attention. Think about this. This needs to be first and foremost in your mind." Now, know that's hard to do when you got six hundred and thirteen other commandments. Well, he's saying, "Remember this one to keep it holy. This one, this Sabbath rest is set apart." And then in verse nine through um, verse eleven. the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He set it apart. What is he saying? He is not saying, let's look at it from the negative, he's not saying that you're going to have no activity one out of seven days. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, You you guys have all these rules on the Sabbath, but if one of your oxen falls in a ditch, you're going to go drag him out on the Sabbath day without breaking your laws. They still had to feed their cattle. They fed all of their animals. They cooked. They they fed themselves. They did all of these activities the same way that God created all of these things in six days and the seventh day he rested. We've been in that seventh day for thousands of years. Has God been inactive for the, the in all of this seventh day? No, we just read that that He He was the God. It says in um, Exodus twenty verse two that I'm the Lord God who delivered you. So He's doing things. The Sabbath day is not about sitting back and doing nothing. It's about us hallowing, particularly one day a week. Now I've had people ask, well, you're a pastor. When's your Sabbath? Well, sometimes I don't get a Sabbath, or I'm not, not, don't, I, don't get, I don't take a Sabbath. I'm telling you, when you don't do that consistently for a long period of time, you pay a price for it. And a lot of us don't take the Sabbath day or take a day because Paul told us in, in Galatians, and I'm just going to tag this one, in Galatians um, Four verse ten. You observe days and months and seasons and years. One day is not more important than another day. In fact, I remember years ago I was going to a prayer meeting with a bunch of pastors, and I was driving down through central Kentucky, and I saw this huge billboard that said, "Do you do you um, do you glorify or, or make holy the Sabbath day? If not, you're going to hell." And I thought. Wow, that's encouraging. And they were talking specifically about worshiping on Saturday, not Sunday. Part of the problem is, what do we know is the actual Saturday? Because our our calendars are all messed up. We don't know the calendar that Jesus operated on is the calendar we're operating on. In fact, I can pretty well guarantee you those calendars don't match up. So what is the Sabbath? Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Because as believers, we don't, we don't keep the Sabbath... We keep the first day of the week, and we set it aside because that's a day that Jesus resurrected. So does that mean we're violating this law constantly? No, I don't think that's what it means. He does does mean for us to take a day of rest, but not just rest. There there is that principle of rest because he also had the law of the Sabbath year for the land, which was very important for the, the Israelis. They, they, they did not keep that one for 490 years, so they went into captivity for 70 years to give the land its rest. So it was important to have a particular day, but it's not just resting your body. It's keeping it holy. We see this principle that, um, of keeping it holy. For me, it's Hebrews chapter 3. Because to be holy means it's separate, it's different, it's exclusive, it's different than any other day. Well, Hebrews 3, we'll start in verse 7, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice... Well, we are his children and we do hear his voice, so we qualify there. He said, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's the key right there, rest. That word there, rest, and we're going to see it many times in the next few verses. The Greek word katapausis kata, k-a-t-a, kata, means to be the source of something. And then the second word, pauses, pretty easy. It means to cease or to pause. In fact, it's where we get our English word, to pause. So he's saying, they shall not enter my rest. He's saying they are not going to have the source of this pause, which is what a Sabbath is. It's a pause. I just stop. I stop, and I think about what's God done. That is the source of my energizing, to stop and rest and know God's doing this, not me. Verse 12, back in Hebrews 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Remember, the spies came into Israel. They sent 12. Caleb and Joshua said, we are well able Why? Because we got a big God. I know there's giants. I know there's walled cities. But man, it's just mostly like David. When David faced Goliath, he didn't didn't talk about how big Goliath was. He talked about how big God was. In fact, he said, what is this uncircumcised Philistine doing? He said, this guy doesn't have a covenant with our God. We don't have to fear him. I know I've got God on my side. um, um, Caleb and Joshua had the same attitude. But the other ten came and said, we can't do this. Why? Because they're big and we're grasshoppers. But notice what it says. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. They gave an evil report because they had an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Their problem, the reason they couldn't go into their rest, was they were full of unbelief. That doesn't mean that they lacked faith. It means they put their faith in the wrong thing. The ten ten spies looked at the giants. They looked at the walled cities, and they said, that's where my faith is. They are big, they are strong, and I can't whip them. And they put their faith in those guys. And God said that's an evil report. You have an evil heart of unbelief because you're you're concentrating on the bigness of your problem, the bigness of your enemy, and not the greatness of your God. Amen? Amen? What's the answer to that? Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. While it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That was their sin nature, saying your circumstances are bigger than your God, and you are going to fail if you do this. You're just going to go out. How many times in the desert did did the nation of Israel say, God, why did did you just bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in in Egypt? We're about to die. And every time the Lord met their, their need. Having an evil heart of unbelief doesn't mean that God won't always meet your need. He's still merciful. But it does mean that you're not pleasing to him. Your behavior doesn't rise up to where he wants it to be. But he says, don't be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In other words, he's saying, you started in this by surrendering your life to God, to Jesus. You need to bring yourself back to remembrance who he is and why you surrendered your life to him. Quit looking at your circumstances and then look at your commitment to him. Verse 15 says, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, indeed. Was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they shall not enter his rest, his pause, but to those who did not obey? That puts me right in remembrance of Matthew 7. Jesus said, you got two houses. The wind's going to come, it's going to blow, the floods are going to come. One's built on the rock, one's built on the stand. They're both going to get blown on really hard. One's going to fall and one's not. The one that stands is the one who heard and obeyed. The one that fell is the one that heard and did not obey. That's exactly what he's talking about here. They did not obey. So we say that they could not enter because of unbelief. What are they trying to enter? They're trying to enter this Sabbath rest. They're trying to enter this pause where they just can rest in God. They can rest in Jesus because they have just stopped their life and said, Whoa, wait a minute. I'm about to be overwhelmed here. I got so many things on my plate. It's like the guy, I heard a guy say one time, Have you ever watched the old Ed Sullivan show? Every once in a while they had the guy on that spun the plates. You remember that? If you remember that, you're old. Kids, just hang on, I'll explain it. He had these dinner plates that had a, a big lip on the bottom, and he would set them up on a, a little pole and he'd start spinning them. And he'd get a dozen, 15, 20 of them spinning at once. They're everywhere. But what did he do once he got them all up spinning? He had to run from pole to pole and keep them spinning. And I tell you what, you do that sometimes and you feel like, man, I got 30, 40 plates spinning and I am busier than a beaver trying to keep all my plates up. You'll wear out during that. In the midst of that, you just have to stop and pause and say, wait a minute, it's not my job to spin the plates. If God told me to start them spinning, I'm going to depend on him to keep them spinning or show me which one needs its attention and I need to just relax and rest. Because it's not my responsibility. It's good to have responsibility and God wants us and He's called. He says, Do you hear my voice? His voice always says, This is what I want you to do. But it's not our responsibility. In, in, in Mark chapter 16, He said, These are the signs that shall follow a believer. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What's my responsibility? Lay hands. What's his responsibility? Recover them. Heal them. Oh, I don't know that I want to lay hands on What if I lay hands on somebody and they die? Are you going to believe God or not believe God? Are you willing to risk looking like a fool for God to obey him? Let's say you lay hands on the sick and because of whatever, and we don't know why things don't work out sometimes. There's a lot of reasons. But say you only get 5% of the people you lay hands on that recover. You lay hands on 100 people that are terminally ill and five of them recover. you got five happy testimonies. What do we have to lose? Nothing as long as we're believing God. And then in Hebrews 4, verse 1, or verse, excuse me, 6, Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, this is the, 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 the seventh day. Well, he, well, back up. Let me back up to verse 3. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place that the seventh day, of the seventh day, in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's how it connects. This rest is a Sabbath rest. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. What's the difference between me entering a Sabbath rest and not entering? Where's my faith? Am I looking at what God said or am I looking at my circumstances? Am I pausing and saying, God, you're bigger. You're bigger than that. You're going to take care of that and then listening, what do I need to do? Is there anything I need to do, or do I just sit, down, sit back and let you take care of it? I don't know what he will say to you in your circumstances because your circumstances are individual to you, and he will ask you to do what he needs you to do to help mature you. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of saying, okay, well, then if I'm going to have a Sabbath rest then I need to take one day a week, and I can't do anything except just listen to God. You read Galatians when Paul said you observe days and months and seasons and years. What Paul's saying is, for us, under the new covenant, one day is no different than the other. Yes, the principle of Sabbath rest still enters, but it's more about our faith versus our unbelief than it is about taking a particular day. Now, we do need to take a particular day. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm saying is it's broader than that we need to enter his sabbath rest every day throughout the day we need to take god pauses we need to stop occasionally when we're in the midst of problems and things are just you know uh, uh, closing in on you and you feel like you're getting squeezed i don't know about you i i'm i'm not claustrophobic but i don't like to get in real tight places I remember one time I had to have an MRI. Hospital had an MRI machine, but it was overloaded. They had too many patients, so they brought one in on a um, a semi-trailer. But this one was, if you've ever been in one of those in a semi, those things are just barely enough to get your shoulders through. And it's not air-conditioned. This was the middle of the summer, sitting out in the sun. So they had a box fan sitting at the end of it blowing in on me. And I'm in this thing, and I'm, 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 I'm in faith. Man, I got my eyes closed, and I'm not, going, I'm not opening my eyes. I'm just dreaming of open fields. But man, I, I probably lost 10 pounds in the 15 minutes I was in that thing. I was sweating like a hog. I mean, sweat just running off me. And after about 10 minutes, it got, it got a little too close for me. And I opened my eyes, and right there, an inch from my nose was that wall and you're supposed to have a two-way speaker on that thing where you can talk to the operator. And I told the guy, I said, I'm done, let me out. He was off doing something. He wasn't paying attention. And I started screaming, and I started backing out. And I got about halfway out that thing, and he finally came on. He liked to cut my shoulders off because he finally started the thing to wheel me out, and I was already off the tray. Like, you're not letting me out of here. I'm crawling out of here. There was no faith right then. I was, things crawled in on me, and it's, I am exiting the building. Elvis has left for the day. I'm gone. I don't like this, and I don't have to put up with it. When we get that way and life closes in on you, there's only one thing you can do. Pause. Just stop and say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I got to, I got to, Paul said it, casting all of your care over on him. The Greek word casting all care literally is, is the picture of somebody, if you've ever watched wrestling, and I say it that way because there is college wrestling, but then there's wrestling, where they're on a, a, a you know, a, a trampoline with, with the cords around and it's all choreographed, but those guys pick up the 300-pound opponent, and they body-slam them. Please don't do that. <laughs> and I say that. This is a little, little squirrel, but i got to chase it. When I worked at the hospital, when I was at Rama, we had a guy came through the emergency room with a ruptured spleen, a ruptured liver, and ruptured something else because he and his son watched wrestling, and they went outside, and the son picked up his dad and body-slammed him onto the uh, ground. And the ground doesn't give like a trampoline, and the man nearly died. And they just thought, well, I saw it on TV. I thought it'd work. Now, you watch people break uh, beer bottles over people's heads in the movies. It doesn't work in real life. We had another guy in our, in our floor that uh, somebody had done that to him. They got in a bar fight, and they hit him with the back of the head. And he stayed in our neuro, uh, neurologic um, floor for about four months. Messed him up. I mean, they were constantly having to go in and and drain fluid off his brain because he had so much damage. Just because you see it on TV does not make it real. It's my commercial for the day. But we have to, verse verse 6, he says, These people, unless you're operating in faith and taking that Sabbath pause, you cannot enter my rest. Verse 6, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. That's the key. We have to be obedient to the word of God, to the voice of the Spirit. And keep in mind, the voice of the Spirit does not mean necessarily you're going to hear an audible voice. God still does speak to people that way. It does not mean that you're going to hear an inward voice. You may. He speaks to us a lot that way. But the most common way he speaks to us is through his word. You go and start reading in the the scriptures that you need. God will just lead you to those particular scriptures. And you'll know you're on the right one when it just jumps off the page. And you say, wow, I never saw that in that verse before. I've read that verse hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times and I just saw something different. That's a rhema moment. That's God speaking to you, and at that moment, you have a choice. Am I going to pause, meditate on this? How does this apply to my life? There's more to it than just reading it and thinking, wow, that was good, and then go back to work. No, when you you have those moments, those rhema moments where God just brings a revelation to you, it may be from reading the Word, you may just be sitting thinking and God just invades your brain. When that happens, you need to take that Sabbath rest. You need to pause and say, all right, Lord, what's this mean? How do I apply this? What do I do with that? may take you a long time. figure it out but you just need to keep with it and keep with it because we don't want to to be disobedient he says verse seven again he designates a certain day saying in david today after such a long time it has been said today if you will hear my his voice do not harden your heart when you hear his voice however you hear it you need to pause and say god uh, say that again. What's that mean to me? How do I put that in practice? What's that mean that I need to change? God, you know, every once in a while you would hear your dad's voice or your mom's voice, and you, you better listen. You just know. You can tell by the tone. Ooh, this, is a, this is not one to ignore. Sometimes you hear their voice, and they're just calling you to dinner. If, you, if you're five minutes late, who cares? But then there are times when you hear that tone of voice and you know, best respond or I may die. We all have those moments. And sometimes they can be, they can be long gone. I've told story. the story. very first date that Gina and I went on. We had a great time. We enjoyed each other's company. I didn't know it, but a couple weeks before she had gone, gone out with the guy. And when she got to the door of her apartment, she had a wrestling match on her hand. And by the time she finally extricated herself from this maniac with nine hands, got in the, in the house, it was like, whew, Thank God I got away from him. I don't think we want to repeat this again. So I'm the next guy up. <laughs> and we're walking up. We've gone to a movie. We've had fun. We're walking up to the door. And my mother, why in the world my mother was there, I do not know. Well, I do now. But my mother's sitting on my shoulder, and all I could hear out of her mouth. You don't kiss a girl on the first date. Well, you know that we're in a different age, because today it's not, do you not kiss? It's, it's a lot more intimate than that in today's world. But I just kept hearing that, and hearing that, and hearing that. So we got to the door, and we exchanged pleasantries, and I told her I really enjoyed it. I'd like to do this again sometime. And she said, so would I. I said, great, have a good night. And I turned on my heel and I walked away. By her own witness, her first thought was, thank God. <laughs> you know what her second thought was? What's better with me? Why didn't he want to kiss me? But the first, the not doing the kiss, impressed her. Was that my mother or was that the Holy Spirit imitating my mother to keep me out of trouble? Because he knew we needed to get together, and he knew, you know, in my flesh, I was attracted to this good-looking woman, so he straightened me out. Doesn't matter how the Holy Spirit, he'll, he'll come up with a way to get your attention. When it happens, don't disobey. You know, there, there, there are people that you can lead, and there are some that are hard to lead and some that are easy to lead. I want to be one that's easy for the Holy Spirit to lead. I don't want to be hard to lead. Hard to lead, you know, uh, oxen, they had the goads. They had a stick with a little prick on the end of it. And they whacked the oxen every once in a while to get them to go the right way or to get them to speed up when they want to quit. I don't want to have to have God correcting me and smacking me occasionally. Straighten up, John. Straighten up. You know better than this. What I want him doing is I want him a couple of steps ahead of me saying, come on, son, this is the way. And I'm just following him. One or two steps behind, but always following, listening. The key to it, taking this Sabbath rest, pausing. One day a week, yes. You need to, and I know that's hard for an American crowd to hear. Why? Why? Because we're industrious. If, if, godly, if, if cleanliness is next to godliness, then right above cleanliness is hard work pays off. We are a hard working country. You want to be successful, you're going to have to put in 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week. That may be appropriate, but even with that, you're going to have to take time to rest. You're going to have to take time to pause, and, and, and if you want to do it, you can do it in your natural strength. You will wear out. You can do that when you're in your 20s and your 30s. And some people will have the strength to do it in their 40s and 50s, but most of us at some point, you can't do that anymore. But if you will learn to just pause and rest, rest your body, rest your mind, but most of all, just tune in, stop and say, okay, God, what direction do I need to go? What do I need to do? How, how, what, what's your call for me next? That he will make a way. He will, he will open little pathways that you didn't even know existed. That's why this Sabbath rest is so important. And then the other part of it is knowing, I'm just going to have to believe you because there's giants in that there land. <laughs> and they are big and they're behind strong walls. But my God, it's so much bigger. So much bigger. He's already, he said, he told the, the nation of Israel, go in and possess what I've already given you. That's the key, it was already theirs. But what, what did they think? I don't think we can do this. Why? Because they looked at themselves and they didn't pause and think about their God. Let me, let me sum it all up in, in this. Unless you do what you're going to do in faith, it's not going to work. Even if it works naturally, it gets no credit with God. Paul said it, and it's an astounding statement. What is not of faith is of sin. You mean I just did a good work? I encouraged this person, I gave them scriptures, I encouraged them in the Lord, and... It doesn't count for anything. If you didn't do it in faith, no. Faith is what we need. Paul said it to the Galatians, the Sabbath rest is more than just rules. It's not your physical activity as much as it is your mental attitude and just stopping to say, God, what have you done? And what are you asking me to do? And and constantly keeping yourself remember in, in remembrance. God's already brought me through this. What could this what could what, what could the world do to me? Look at the life of Paul. He said, <clears throat> These light sufferings have nothing compared to the glory that I'm about to enter into. And I read his light sufferings, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow. I haven't faced anything like that. I haven't been shipwrecked. I haven't been, been bitten by um, the little serpents like he was. And some of those, are keep in mind, the smaller the snake, usually the more powerful the venom. And most people don't survive those snake bites. And Paul just shook it off. How did he just sh- shake it off? Because he wasn't looking at the snake. He was looking at God. And God said, Paul, you've got a work to do. I already told you, you're heading to Jerusalem. You're going to go to Rome. And Paul thought, I'm heading to Rome. This snake's got no power over me. I'm just going to shake it off and God will work it out. Not sure I would have had that kind of faith. But then I didn't have the call. Keep in mind, what God's called you to do, he will equip you to do. So stay in your call, but constantly stay in communion with the Holy Spirit. Stay in communion through his word, through listening, through praying, by coming before that throne of grace. Come boldly before his throne. Lord, I need help today. I need to know what you want me to do. And if we will enter into that, remember the Sabbath, set that those times apart and realize I've got to have them. I don't care how busy I am. I've got to take time for the Lord. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.